As always, I'm your host, Nicholas, and this is Nerds Who Lift Podcast. With you yet again with another awesome episode with the man, the myth, the legend, Charizard. Sorry, wrong one. Charlie Binkley. I want to call him Charizard because he looks like a goddamn dragon. And uh, whenever he lifts, he gets so red. It looks like he's about to spit fire at you. So either something's going to happen, the weight's going to move, or he's going to incinerate the head judge. I'm pretty sure that's going to be one or the other. But all joking aside, Charlie is a phenomenal human being, an excellent lifter, a very meticulous coach, very intelligent, an awesome competitor, and a mental health advocate on top of that. So I've been looking forward to getting him on the show. It finally happened. And I couldn't be more excited. So, of course, we're going to hit him with the Viking Grip It Rip It Inquisition round. So, we collected questions from you all on the Instas. We're going to be asking him that, get his feedback, as well as some other questions that we throw in the mix to get to know Charlie. So, shout outs to Viking Performance Chalk for always being the best sponsor around. They are the best. If you don't know who they are, they make the best lifting chalk, period. And I know that sounds funny. Not all chalk is created equal. Theirs is a much denser, stickier type of chalk. It lasts through, you know, humidity and all moisture and all of that and actually stays on the implement as opposed to dusting off and actually gives you better traction. And I know the owners and I know what they went through to make that. So as meticulous and small that sounds, it really doesn't make a big difference. So Go check out their stuff. They also have great apparel. Use the code NERDS10, N-E-R-D-Z, 10, all capital. Get you 10% off. It's totally worth it. They are the best. Also, to our other sponsors, Calvary Illustrations, The Johnny Horror Show on YouTube. Look out for new stuff from those guys if you haven't already. So, yeah. Time for another good one. I'm excited. It's 6 a.m. in California where I am. Because Mr. Charlie is in Florida, so it's going to be 9 a.m. when we talk to him. So I am heavily caffeinated. I ate a bunch of bacon, and I'm really excited to pick his brain uh, before I have to go to work today. So that's what I do for you folks. I get up early because I want to get those interviews in because I love doing it. Um, With Bama Burr, I was up at 4, so I could interview her at 5 my time. So it could be eight her time. So, but hey, it's always worth it, right? Because we do what we got to do for the things we love, for the people that we love. That's right. All right. So thank you again for joining me. Really excited about this episode. Let's get Charlie Binkley on on the line. All right. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about you, man? Doing good. Doing good. Good morning. Yeah, it's early for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's like six. It's not too uh, bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. I got up early though, and I like I had breakfast and shit. So, but it's what you got to do. I, I work a day job, so it's like sometimes, you know, 
you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, you got to make it fit where you can. Yeah, exactly. But it's always worth it, and it's always, you know, starts my day off really well, so, like, I can't complain. <laughs> yeah. you, get to, you get to do the fun stuff now, and then it's just all downhill for the rest of the day. Yeah, pretty much. Just <laughs> Well, it's like, because I work, I work at, a, like, a property management company, and I do that during the day, and then I do have clients that I train at the gym, so then I do that after work, and then I train after that. So it's usually, it's a long day. But yeah, but it's good, man. You can't, you know, uh, I like it. But uh, thank you for coming on the show. I've been really excited to have you on, so I appreciate it. And um, I'm really looking forward to picking your brain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you could, for those who don't know you, maybe do a short little introduction of uh, who you are and what you do and how you got into powerlifting. All right. Uh, my name is Charlie Binkley. I'm originally born and raised in Chicago, like outside of Chicago, Illinois, in the suburbs. Um, I now live in Tampa, Florida. Um, I work full time as a strength and conditioning coach, um, an online coach, as they would say now. Um, I have around 50 athletes currently, so it's a full it's a full flight. It's um, yeah, man, that's a full roster. <laughs> yeah, when people are like, "Oh, being a strength coach, like that must be sweet," like not a real job or something. I was like, ah, you're, never off, you're never off the clock. Yeah, you're never off the clock. You have videos to go through, you know, critiques, programs to write, yeah. athletes to deal with. And then, I mean, I'm guessing you also try to go to the as many meets as you can probably. So yeah. travel, like, it's a job. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a job. And athletes in all different time zones, so you're getting videos from 4 a.m. to midnight and stuff like that. It's just like, all right, like, nope. I'm going to sleep eventually, so I'll get to these when I get to these. But yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I've been in the gym all my life. Um, I have a brother who's four and a half years older than me, so he was huge into working out in high school. And basically whatever he did, I kind of followed along, and I always just wanted to be just like my older brother. Um, so I was pretty active in the gym consistently from about the time I was like 15 years old. Uh, a lot of like bodybuilding, like bro pump stuff, uh, just trying to get big. I was a really small kid growing up. Uh, I think going into high school, I was maybe 110 pounds. Oh, so, same. Yeah. I'm still small. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I, was a real, I was a real small kid growing up, so I probably had like a little bit of like little man syndrome and stuff. Yeah. And uh, always just wanted to be bigger. Found the gym. Uh, it was one place where I felt like I actually like fit in. I enjoyed being there. Uh, I didn't feel as socially awkward as I did in a lot of other places. So I was like, okay, like this is kind of my thing. So I'd spend three, four hours in the gym seven days a week throughout like high school and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, fitness has always been kind of like a big thing for me. I've always stuck with it. Um, and I found powerlifting on accident, honestly. Uh, Alexis and I had just moved to Florida not too long before, and um, we were looking for, like, a real gym. We were kind of getting sick of, like, the commercial gym type stuff, and we were like, oh, I wish there was, like, a more hardcore gym to train in, and we ended up finding a group of people um, working out in, like, a storage shed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just a bunch of, a, a few big dudes working out in a storage shed, and we were like all right, like, I got out of the car, I went up and talked to him, and one of the guys was like, yeah, I coach a powerlifting class at a local gym, why don't you guys come on out, and it was cool, because it was, like, our first, like, friends we really made in Florida, um, 
we enjoyed the lifting aspect of it. That was cool. But we also finally had like a group of people to hang out with a couple times a week. Um, so that was like our first like glimpse into like the powerlifting community and like what it could offer us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we started training, I think powerlifting like August or September of 2016 was when we started, like when I first like got a coach, um, my first coach was Steve Johnson, the Forsaken Warrior on Instagram. Oh, uh, I love, I love Steve. He's great. Yeah, he was another guy from Chicago. I knew he I knew of a lot of people that he coached. Uh, so he was my first coach, and he prepped me going into my first meet, which was uh, March of 2017. So I've actually only been competing in powerlifting for about two and a half years. Um, At a pretty high level, though, let's be fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, that's why I say, like, people, like, don't compare your journeys to someone's like, oh, you've only been doing this for two years. So I was like, yeah, but I also had more than a decade in the gym before then. Yeah. yeah. I had I had a good foundation. Now I'm just trying to specialize that foundation to three certain lifts. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's been a very common motif with um, high-level lifters that I've, you know, that I've been talking to uh, is that they all started in the gym very early. Um, they've all continually always been, been active, always had some sort of, you know, physical outlet. And then they found powerlifting as a specialty and then they started to specialize. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, so when people see these guys who've been in it a year or two and they come out of nowhere, it's like, well, they're coming out of nowhere in this sport, but they, they've been in the trenches for probably better you know, a decade or more. So, yeah, yeah there's a, I mean, you don't just walk into the gym and start hitting records two years later like with yeah. no experience and stuff like that. yeah and just because you're new on the powerlifting scene does not mean you're new to the gym so yeah it's a big it's a big thing that i stress with my athletes all the time they're always like oh well we all play the comparison game yeah. and we have things like open powerlifting that make the comparison game very easy to do yeah. um but it's like you don't know these people's backgrounds so you're not the same as them genetically you don't have this you're just not the same person so don't compare yourself to them you know focus on yourself and eventually you're going to get to where you want to go exactly i think that that's it's such a hard mindset you know for some people to adopt if especially i feel like those who haven't been in sports like if you grew up around sports or being in the gym I feel like playing the long game is something that you will, it's easier to adopt early, but if you get into it a little later in life, it's a little harder. Um, You know, they want it now. Yeah, I I think it could work both ways, because, like, I was an athlete all my life growing up. Uh, Baseball and football were my two main sports, but I wrestled, I played basketball. Um, Like, as a kid, me and my friends were outdoors constantly. Uh, We were playing, like, Wiffle ball, basketball, football, something. We were <laughs> Oh, wiffle ball. I haven't heard the, the term wiffle yeah. ball in a long time. And then, you know, it didn't matter if it was like we were playing badminton in class or we were like on a football field. Like, if you put me in a competitive setting like that, like, my goal is to like destroy you. That's, I, I've never met someone where it's like, hey, let's just play like a like a fun game of something. I'm like, I'm, I don't know what that means. Like if I'm playing something, I'm trying to win. Yeah. Winning is fun. Yeah. Winning, winning is fun. Winning so is even, fun. Even, even though those of us with like the competitive background, like 
I'm trying to get better at focusing on the long game. It's something Trevor stresses with me constantly because he knows I want to be there now. Um, but, I mean, you know, I, I look at the top five, the top tens on open powerlifting because that's where I want to be. And it's just, you know, I, I know I'm not. My only motivation is knowing I'm not where I could be. Um, you know, I, I don't look at too many of the external things. I don't care about what people say or anything like that. Just maximizing my own potential. Um, but yeah, I look at those ranking charts and stuff like that too. And it's just like, all right, like I'm just buying my time, but eventually I'm going to be there. Yeah. I, I know. I, I know you do. I, I can, you can tell, I feel like you put a lot of, um, a lot of yourself out there. Uh, you're, you know, your genuineness has always come across really, uh, honestly, pretty immediately. Even when I first started following you and watching you lift, and uh, I, I felt you the other day when you uh, circled your hand on your deadlift attempt for uh, during the last meet. And, you know, the difference between one total and the next, between top 30 and top 15. Like, I felt that. I was like, oh, that would be me too. I was like, oh, I feel – I felt it. I felt it. Yeah, yeah. That, was, uh, that was a Rockwell Marble meet in Chicago at the end of July. And – I took 650 for my opener deadlift, and that was easy. Uh, we jumped to 701 for my second, which would have been a lifetime PR for me. Um, and, I mean, the strength for it was there. Uh, my hand ripped open, and I ended up, you know, bleeding all over and stuff like that, and I just wasn't able to hold on to the bar through that happening. Yeah. So it was uh, it was disappointing, to yeah. say the least. Um, but, I mean, it just, you know... It just lights the fire. So when we come around to the next one, you know, we'll skip 701. We'll go straight to 705, I'm sure. And, uh, yeah. you know, just, we'll just make sure it happens. It's yeah. just, it, and it's the beautiful thing about, like, meet day and, like, competitions and stuff. Like, you could be the strongest one there. But if you don't execute to your ability, it doesn't matter. Someone's going to beat you. And yeah. that's what ended up, you know, that's what ended up happening. It was myself and David Thompson, uh, Tommy Guns on Instagram, real good competitor. Um, I felt like honestly I was I had the chance to win I felt like I was a little bit stronger but I had a 6 for 9 day he had an 8 for 9 day he executed better than I did and he beat me yep. so I mean that's what it comes down to yeah exactly that is what it comes down to and and I tell people all the time of like why just in general competition sports are good um, and then obviously why I like powerlifting but even if someone got into weightlifting or they get into strongman or they get into any type of competitive outlet for themselves competing is a skill you know and like you said you can be strong you can be the strongest guy in your gym but competition is its own skill it's its own expression there's the mental game there's obviously all the other factors of the competitors and judging so you can't, you can't, you know, you can't be high. You can't uh, pause too short, and that's its own thing, and that comes with experience, um, which makes it more fun. Like I like that personally. I like those, uh, you know, those regulations and like going under that kind of focus. But uh, that's why it's like if you want to compete, you should just start competing. Like get someone to help you because on top of your gym lifts and training, you need to train knowing how to compete. Uh, and yeah. build that skill to execute, like you said, to be able to yeah. uh, to express all that work you did in the gym. That's one. That's one of my biggest like little pet peeves is when uh, whether it's an athlete of mine or just an athlete in general, they're like, "Well, I'm not strong enough to compete yet." I was like, "There's no, there's no like minimum. There's no barrier to be like, oh, you have." To 
have to do this before you can step on the platform. Just get on the damn platform. Yeah. Like, first of all, it's going to be an awesome experience. You're going to learn so much more by actually putting yourself out there and doing it. And it's going to, I guarantee your training after competing for the first time is going to be better because now you have a better focus. You know what you need to work on a little bit more. And there's not as many what ifs. It's like, okay, I've done this now. Now I'll improve. Yeah, exactly. It's like now you'll improve. And I think you said it great. You'll have a better focus. I know I did. Like after my first meet, going into the gym after my first meet was a whole different clarity. Um, you know, I did things with more intention, like just even just unracking my squats, the warm ups, so just with the bar. Like I unracked with intention of stepping back, you know, getting settled, bracing, locking my knees. Because uh, in my first meet, one of my, my second attempt, I got red lighted for soft knees on my on standing up. And so ever since then, even if it's just the bar, I don't have soft knees. I make sure I lock it. And so it's like little things like that, but that makes my training better. So then when I squat, even on a shitty squat day, I unrack, I lock out, I, you know, I stand, I hold, and then I walk it in. And so, you know, you practice that skill so it can translate over when you step on the platform and, and it's invaluable. Yeah. It's, it's one of Trevor's mottos for our team. It's something I pass on all my athletes. It's, you know, Trevor says from bar to PR, you know, it doesn't matter if it's an empty bar or a max attempt. You approach it the same way every time. You handle it the same way every time because that's when you're reinforcing your patterns. That's when you're reinforcing everything. Because a lot of times on meet day, you know, like for me, as soon as I step on the platform, everything kind of goes blank. Like I don't, I don't see anything. I really don't hear anything. Um, and honestly, I, I don't know what happens during a lot of my lift. <laughs> It's just my body relying on doing the same thing that I've done every warm-up set and every working set in the gym for the months leading up to that meet. Yep. You know, it's just, it, like, it's the same reason, like, when we were in the military and stuff like that, um, you know, you train certain drills over and over and over again because when shit does hit the fan and chaos starts going on, your body's going to revert back to your training. Yep. Uh, what, and what's what's the old saying that you're you know the best you can ever expect from yourself is the worst that you did in training. So therefore, if you always train to a certain level of competency and quality, then even on your worst day, it's it's qual it's like a high level. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, now like after that uh, after that deadlift in the last meet, like all my accessory work, like I'm squeezing the shit out of that bar. I am like. Any, any implement I'm holding, any dumbbell, anything, I'm squeezing the shit out of it because I'm training my grip, you know? I yeah. just, every, everything I do, I know has a carryover. I know if I slack on something, it's going to expose itself on me dead. Yep. So er, everything we do, we do with intention, we do with purpose. Yep. And, I really, and I, I really love that phrase from bar to PR. I think that's a really, it's a really like finesse way to put it, and it's completely accurate. Um, I also want to, I do think it's funny. I, I'm slowly making my way through the Jaffe crew in interviews, yeah. <laughs> which is not intentional. I'm not, I don't have that. Like, it's just like, you know, whoever kind of comes up and I, I'm like, Oh, I want to talk to that person. But it just so happens that Jaffe has a huge roster <laughs> and he takes up like a third of the powerlifting world. So <laughs> yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to find 
find an athlete that's not coached by Trevor these days. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, very, very influenced. Um, which is kind of funny because it's like the, I think the three hubs of powerlifting right now, and I've said it, is Florida, uh, Chicago area, obviously, you know, surrounding Indy City too, and then obviously here in Southern California. I feel like those are the three kind of hubs uh, for powerlifting. And then Tampa, obviously, you know, Riley's moving there, and you, you know, you and Alexis are there, and I know, you know, Bama moved to Florida, Jaffe's in Florida, I don't know exactly where they live, but they're over there. So yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all basically within like two, three hours of each other for the most part. Nice. And, uh, which is nice because like when we do a meet where a lot of our teams in it, like usually every weekend we'll drive, people will drive anywhere from like two to five hours to come train with the team on weekends to get their squats or their deadlifts in. So you can be surrounded by your crew. You can, you know, have everybody there to point out what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. And uh, it's a huge benefit when you're able to train with your team like that. Oh, yeah, that's huge. I'm, I'm, you know, supremely jealous. I have, like, at my my gym, I have uh, just a handful of guys who also compete. Luckily, I do get to train with at least maybe one of them on any given day, you know, when I go into the gym. But having a crew there, um, you know, and y'all, you know, obviously approach training very similarly with the same intention. Uh, you just have that energy is is really invaluable. I always feel like when you train in those environments, it's like a time warp. Like you can get, you can learn and get more out of one day, you know, training with your crew that way than you would two weeks by yourself. Absolutely. So it's always like that. Um, just a quick rewind. You mentioned military. So were you in the you were in the military? Uh, yes, I spent five years in the Marine Corps after high school, um, from 2009 to 2014. Um, I was in the infantry. Went to Afghanistan twice on deployments. Uh, it was, I mean, it was it was the best. It was what I needed in life at that time. Because I mean, I was a shithead coming out of high school. I was. I wasn't a great kid. I wasn't very focused. I didn't know what I really wanted to do with my life. Um, but my brother that I had mentioned, he was also a Marine before me. Um, my dad's side of the family, basically every male uh, had joined the military going back like to World War One or something like that. Like It's just what happens in our family. And uh, I always, I always, you know, I've never really been sure of like what I wanted to do in life, but I always knew like I want to help people. Like I have a passion to serve, um, so it was a really good fit for me. Um, and it, it was, I mean, it's the best experience I've ever had in my life. I would never trade those five years for anything. So that's definitely well. And hey, it made you who you are today. So thank you for your service, and I'm glad that you know you're, you you came back all right, and now you can you know lift with everybody. Yeah, partially all right. <laughs> partially all right. Hey man, you're alive. So, <laughs> yeah, you're alive, and you're obviously still helping people. And you're, you know, you know, you make an impact. And obviously, people, uh, you know, like to talk to you and like to, you know, you know, because more than just watching. Obviously, you're very strong, but also I think it's how, you know, it's how you go about it. It's how you present yourself. It's the the energy you put out that impacts people. And, um, and I've said that before, like, that's how I choose who I want to talk to. It's those people who have something about them that, yeah, they may be awesome competitors, but they also seem like cool, interesting people. And I want to pick their brain of of like how they got here because, you know, they just have that, uh, energy about them. So, you know, I mean, 
Yeah. And nobody, nobody's gonna remember. Like being strong is cool, but nobody's gonna remember your numbers. They like yeah. they don't matter. Um, Trevor's an awesome deadlifter, but nobody. When you think of Trevor, you think of him as a coach and all the like knowledge that he puts out there for people. You know, I was at the tribute meet where I saw Cody total two thousand uh, for the first first one eighty one or to ever total two thousand. And, you know, nobody in the, like, there was hardly any clapping because they had an announced, like, oh, this is, like, a sudden, like, a groundbreaking moment in the sport. They had an announced it, so, like, basically nobody in the crowd after a second deadlift, like, even went crazy. Like, nothing happened, and it was like, okay, like, this dude just set history, and most people have no idea what just happened. So it's like your numbers really don't matter. And, like, Cody's obviously strong. Like, he's ridiculously strong. He really is. But when I like, but when I personally think of him, like, I think of, like, how, like, humble he is, how he carries himself and, like, how hard he works. You know, it's not about the numbers and stuff like that. It's just you see, like, a good person first, and it's like, oh, and they also happen to be very strong. Yeah. And I think it's I've, – I've said it. There's one thing that I, I said before, and it, it stayed with me, um, is is that people remember, to kind of echo what you said, how. Like, how you are, how you are as a lifter, how you are as an athlete. It, you know, it's not about the numbers you do get. It's, you know, like you said, are you, uh, he's, you know, Cody's humble. He's a nice guy. He works hard. His how. So even if he gets a lift or he misses a lift, because he puts all of himself into it and he's such a good person – it, it, it impacts those watching, you know, yeah, and it sets, it sets the example for how a lifter should act. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a person in general. I think anybody, it's like, if you, if you go to anything you do in life, whether it's, you know, lifting your job or just interacting with people and you go in with, I want to go into this, you know, as the, you know, the best that I can is as open as I can. Um, then no matter what happens, whether you fail or you succeed, people respect that you put your heart into it, you know, and if they, and if they see that, that's what impacts people, you know, um, like, I think we all, we all get like chills whenever we see someone go for a lift and they just fucking give it everything, but they don't get it. But like the fact that they just, they went to the edge of what they could honestly do on that day without holding anything back always like at least for me it always affects me like that always leaves an impact yeah i mean that's my that's my favorite part about meets is like watching other lifters either like hit prs or just like take their bodies to places that they've never gone before um it's just really cool to like watch people experience that um and to be a part of that for everyone else like my biggest thing about me is like i personally i don't love competing um like in powerlifting in, in, in general, like I don't need to do it on a stage. Um, so like I compete because that's, you know, that's where we measure our progress. That's what we do. It's part of the sport, everything like that. Yeah. But meet days for me, it's, it's like the best parts are like the refeed with your team, like getting to hang out with everybody, getting to meet people that you only have known online before. And then just getting to watch other people like experience success. Um, you know, like, especially, like, coaching. Coaching is so much more fulfilling than lifting ever will be. Like, yeah. Being, being part of someone's journey, being part of, like, helping them grow, and then, like, they hit that big lift on the platform, and they come over, and you give them a big hug, whatever. It's just like that. Like, I've never gotten that feeling from hitting a lift. 
Yeah. I, I, and, I, and I doubt I ever will because, you know, it's just I'm not I'm not a very like self-centered person. Um, I, and I just I'd rather someone else have their moment than me. Yeah, it's just, it feels a lot better to be a part of that. Yeah, and I think you can see things clearly with other people. Like, it's really hard to be proud of yourself. I mean, even, like, for myself, and maybe you're the same, like, even when I get that big lift, you know, my, my initial thought was, you know, always is, cool, I got that, finally, and then, you know, what did I do wrong, or how could I do it better? But when it's somebody else, and they get it, like, none of that exists. The only thing that you can think of is you knew how hard they worked, and seeing that pay off is always just like the best feeling, you know. Yeah, like I wish I wish I could take my own advice sometimes. I'm I'm pretty good at helping other people. I'm really bad at listening to my own stuff and helping myself. Um, you mean so like, you mean you're human? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't believe it. When a lifter gets a PR or something, I'm like, dude, like enjoy this, celebrate it. Um, Whereas, like, when I hit a PR, like, Rockwell meet, my third bench, I put up uh, 474, which was a massive lifetime PR for me. And, like, you know, I, I pumped my fist. I went over. I got a big hug from Trevor. And then, like, 30 seconds later, I was like, all right, I wonder how close I am to 500. Yeah. And it's, it, my mind just automatically flips to that next hole. So, like, there's really no I – I don't, like, allow myself to sit there and – enjoy it or reflect on like how far I've come and everything like that and I wish I was better at that and it's something I want to work towards being better at like having goals is awesome but we also need to appreciate like how far we've come how much work we've put in and stuff like that and you know a lot of it's just because like like we're especially when you're at like a higher level in the sport you're kind of robotic like I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do my work, everything like that. And, you know, to us, that's just normal. It's not like we're, you know, doing anything like going out of our way. We're not like doing anything crazy. So, and then we expect the results to follow. And it, it can kind of be a crappy mindset when you're like that. Cause like, you know, you should be appreciative of all the journey and like the steps that you're taking to get there. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I wonder if it's just like a mentality thing that we grew up with um, is that it's like if we, you think as an athlete, if you start to celebrate, you'll lose your edge, like you'll lose your focus, like you'll get sloppy or you'll get too lax. Um, and I, I've always wondered if that's like an American thing, because I have other friends from like Germany or obviously like even if we look, you know, Russians, like they don't. And maybe I haven't talked to enough, but the ones I have, like, they don't really seem to do that. They seem to, like, they get a PR, they're really happy about it, and they're like, yeah, I've been working for that for a long. Like, they seem to revel in it a little bit more uh, and without, you know, without losing their edge, so to say. And I wonder if that's just a cultural thing, and, you know, just, you know, uh, or maybe I'm completely off the mark. But it's just what I've observed, and I've always wondered. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's normal. Like, you know, uh, you see a lot of people, they get a little bit of that, like, taste of success, and then they get comfortable, and they'll kind of rest a little bit. You know, it's like professional sports teams, like, how hard is it for them to repeat as champions? Because, you know, once they do, it's like, well, I got my ring, you know, I accomplished this goal, and then, I like, so they kind of rest, they take it easy a little bit, because they've already accomplished the highest level of what they wanted to, not to mention the next season, every team 
has like a you know like has a target on that team. It's like okay, well they're the best, so we're going to go out and try to prove ourselves against them now. Unless you're Tom Brady. Unless you're Tom Brady, unless you're the Patriots. Yeah, not, yeah, and then then that's uh, that's a whole other story. But I mean, I guess that's the goal: is be like Tom Brady, <laughs> get wins, and still be a machine. <laughs> Yeah, and just keep getting rings. And just keep getting so many rings uh, and just put them all over yourself. But it's true, and I think that that's, you know, that's always – and also I think that we value growing up. We always value the underdog. I mean, I I still do. Um, Like, you know, we always like – like you said, when you don't get it that one year, you come back the next year, you know, with that target on the back of the person who beat you um, or, you know, to get to their level – or, um, you know, or just in general, just that fire that man, I really want to exceed what I did last year. And, uh, and I think, and I think not a lot of people know how to, like, we know what that looks like. We have a reference of what it's like to be the, I guess, not the winner and have that fire and how to come back, but we don't know what it's like to accomplish, you know, get our goals and celebrate it and yet maintain that fire. So I think maybe, you know, probably that's why people have a hard time celebrating, you know, which is why it's good to have your friends to remind you, you know, to help push that on you and have a good coach that does that for you. Um, But I think you tackled on a good point. I do think that that's something people should work on is way, you know, ways to celebrate how far you've come and have that add to your intention, not take away from it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I did uh, collect some questions, and obviously you saw some of them, and uh, I figured it would be a good good time for you to, to answer those. Now, I did kind of mix in some just kind of random questions, because um, one thing I do notice about the other powerlifting podcasts is they don't always really talk to the uh, – we don't really get to know the person. We always know the person, the lifter, but not the person as the person. So, uh, I have some random ones in there too, just for fun. So, okay. So number one, uh, because obviously my show is, uh, nerdy related favorite superhero and favorite villain. I'm going to get fried for this one. So I've never, never been able to get into superheroes. Um, like none of the, like none of the comics, like, like the Avengers, all of it. Like I've never been able to get into any of them. Um, like I don't know. I love I love reality. So like it's hard for me to like let my mind go and like enjoy like how like those movies are awesome. But like I can't let myself enjoy them because like I'll be sitting there like picking it apart. And, like well, that's not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's not realistic, Charlie. It's a fucking story. <laughs> um, you can you can have you can have real life heroes and real life villains you can cite. That's fine. That's always been like one that I've enjoyed watching and stuff like that. And you know, it's like it's like a, he's like a normal dude who like goes out and, like he doesn't have like superpowers. I mean, he's got a shit ton of money. I was gonna say he, he's a billionaire. That's his superpower. He's a billionaire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's it's no, it's true. No, I, I I accept that. I Batman is a great choice, so I'm not mad at that. And and that's okay. Like I still love you. So you know, and it's true. You some people don't necessarily like the character. I think other people like are 
we draw parallels to reality from the stories, or we make, or you know, or we make those connections. While other people, like you say, may, you know, maybe they don't, they don't take from that in the same way. But that's okay. That's okay. It's you know, at the same time, as long as long as you get something out of it, that's all that matters. Um, but I'll accept Batman. Uh, but how about how about villain? And it can be a real life villain, someone who's very very bad, but you find very fascinating. Donald Trump, no. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. <laughs> oh. Any politician ever also counts. Like, um, like fucking, uh, the, uh, not, yeah, uh, Roosevelt. That motherfucker was crazy. Not his nephew, not Teddy, uh, but, you know, yeah, he, dude, he, he went down, like, he went down to fucking Cuba and killed people for fun. He wasn't even in the army. Like, he just went down there, like, I have guys, we'll come and help. And they're like, no, we're cool. He's like, no, I'll do it anyway. And just came and killed people. Like, he was insane. Yeah, I used, to, I used to be, like, super into politics. And I just, like, it got to a point where it's like, dude, like, this is just a headache for no reason because, you, like, all the posting online and stuff, like, you're not you're not changing anybody's mind. You're, you're not going to, like, you know, people are pretty set in their ways. You're not going to, like, say something and it's going to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. All of a sudden, I'm going to switch from this to this. Um, nope. It's, just, it, it's a headache and there's just so much stupidity and lack of common sense at that level of government that it's just I, like I just try to ignore it all now and like ignorance is bliss I don't know yeah I mean it's it's true man there's so many things that go into you know people's you know position with stuff and like you said it's like you're not going to change their mind because no matter how much logic you give them or how much evidence it doesn't fit um, their life like it doesn't fit what they um, have built around and um, you know you you challenge a person's idea you can talk about it you challenge somebody's core like beliefs yeah that's like you know that's just what they have that, that's not going to go over well so i'm with you on that <laughs> just i don't i'm not i'm a very like you know at least publicly i'm very apolitical and i'm fine with that because i don't have yeah, to deal with it <laughs> Exactly. And if you're not hurting anybody, then then I have no problem with you. If you're hurting people, I have a problem with you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Question number two. Um, one of the me- one of the questions that we collected that uh, is, what methods do you use to peak an athlete? Or rather, I guess tactics is probably a better word. They use methods, but I think probably tactics to peak an athlete is better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, peaking is probably the least, like, specific aspect of coaching because we're all just trying to maximize our squat, bench, and deadlift. So, I mean, with peaking, we're all doing this. We all have the same goal during that block, you know. Um, so, for me personally as a coach, I'll work backwards, like, percentage-wise. So, okay, your last heavy bench is going to be 8 to 10 days out. Your last heavy squat, maybe 14 Last heavy deadlift, 17 to 21, depending on the athlete recovery. There's a lot of variables that go into it. But I'll be like, okay, I know I want your last session. I know I want you to hit this percentage or hit this. And then I'll work back each week with, like, realistic jumps until wherever that last deload was before the peak. Um, I really don't think we're doing too much building. 
Well, we're in our peak. We're really just trying to bring forth 100% of the strength you have. You know, we're, we're fine-tuning things, and we're just trying to bring, you know, all the work is basically done, I think, by the time you peak. But now we're just trying to bring it to show and, um, you know, just get, and a lot of it's, like, mental. Like, get you out of your own head to trust yourself with the heavy weight and properly acclimate you to that so you're ready to go on meet day. That's a really good, a really good point. But I think people think that peaking is like this magic time that you, like you said, build to get to the to the strength you need for the meet. When actually, it's at least what I, from my understanding, is it's actually a way to pull you back so that way you can, you know, bring down your fatigue and express all of the building you've been doing leading up to the meet. Exactly. You know, and I'll I'll try to leave. It's, it's all about finding a balance. It's like, okay, to pull back um, so we can, you know, get your fatigue managed and stuff like that. But I don't want to pull back so far where you're deconditioned going into the meet because I still need you to be, you know, ready to compete for eight hours that day. Um, so it's a, fine, it's a fine balance. I'll keep the accessories pretty solid until about two weeks out. Um, I don't want to pull back from that. I like to use a lot of moving events. Uh, if my athletes have like sleds and stuff like that available to them, sandbags, they know I have them pulling them, carrying them, stuff like that, just because I want the body to stay athletic as long as possible. Yeah, yeah. and it's true. That is the fine line. I think that's always what coaches are trying to look for. It's like, how can we keep you conditioned? Without taking away from all this, you know, you know, again, expression of strength that we've built up over the past, you know, twelve week prep or whatever. Yeah, um, it's a fine line. You know, I do want to add to this. There's actually a question that I haven't asked anybody yet, um, but I does I do think relate to this during meet day. How do you like to have your your athletes warm up? in getting ready for their attempts because I feel that meet day warm ups are their own art. In a way, uh, they, they are, and that's another thing that, like, for me personally, my midday warm ups go the exact same as like a regular training session for me. So, like, uh, for bench, for instance, I'll use myself as an example. Um, I'll usually take, I'll do my, you know, I'll do my mobility stuff. I'll get my shoulders firing and everything like that. Uh, make sure everything's good to go, and I'll take the, I'll take the bar for thirty reps. Um, 20 to 30 usually 135 I'll take for 10 to 12 so I'm usually I'm using the bar and 135 to get the proper muscle systems firing to get my body feeling like okay we're benching now this is what we're using this is what needs to be activated um, so I'll do that with the very light weights and then by the time I get to like I'll take 225 for a double or a triple and then like 275, 315, 365, 405 are all singles. So I'm using, I'll use the light weights, uh, the bar, and the lightest weights to acclimate my body to what we're about to do. And then after that, it's real low volume, mostly singles, just to acclimate myself to the weight that I'm about to use. I think that, okay, that's a really good breakdown. I feel like that's, like you said it best, use the low weight to, you know, get the blood flowing, get the muscles firing, to acclimate and kind of get warm without taxing, and then use those, you know, you know, singles or double loads, you know, to jump to kind of staircase your way up to your top set or to the yeah. tent. Um, I'll, have, I'll have athletes that have, like, 
five by five at three fifteen programmed, and they're like, "Oh, my last warm up, I did two seventy five or two eighty five for five. I was like, "Oh, why? Like, yeah. all, all you're doing, all you're doing is taxing yourself extra at that point. Take that weight for a single, then jump into your working sets. You know, your body's going to be prepared for it. You're not going to lose like conditioning in your warm up sets. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. I feel like most people don't know how to warm up properly. They don't know how to take weight jumps properly. Um, and like you said, they don't know how to, to go know when to, you know, conserve and when to, you know, when to save. Um, like, like I was always taught, I don't know how you do it. I was taught with your warm ups, you want to try to make the jumps of the weight smaller as you get closer to the weight. So let's say if you're working up to the 315, uh, for whatever, you know, whatever the lift is, you know, you have your, um, you have the bar. So say the squat. So say you have the bar then you put on a plate. Uh, and then you do that, then two plates, so that's another 90 pounds, and then maybe, you know, a 25 on each side, and then maybe, you know, uh, maybe from, maybe 25 on each side is 275, so maybe do a single at 295, adding a 10 on each side, yeah. and then 315 for your working sets. Yeah, and then that's another thing on like meet day. So if my like my bench opener was four twenty four, I took my last warm up at four oh five. Um, so my last warm up will generally generally be pretty close to my opener. Um, I don't I don't want a huge gap there. Um, but then our opener again, you know, on meet day, your opener should be something that you could hit blind. Like you you should be able to hit that no matter what. Um, so if you have a, if you have a lifter that's stressing over their opener, it's too high. Like just drop it. That should be a no brainer number that they could walk in and hit any day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So I hope I hope people take away from that because I do feel warm ups and for both your training and meet day is something that is largely kind of like uh, ambiguous to people. So I hope yeah. people take away from that because I know that's helped me. A lot too. Uh, training sessions and during the meet, um, yeah, it's huge. Um, okay, next question. Uh, I mean, yeah, it still, it still should be okay. I was wondering what you said earlier about not, you know, you like your reality, but favorite movie? Favorite movie? Uh, Boondock Saints. Ooh, good one. I, I like it. Boondock Saints has always been my favorite in life. I don't know. I, I get stuck in my ways too. Like, obviously, that movie's not new. Um, it's a classic, it'll probably, though. It'll probably always be a favorite. And like, my favorite, uh, my favorite book is The Outsiders. Dude, which I, I read for the first time, I think, in seventh grade. So, like, oh, I love The Outsiders so much. It's such yeah, a good book. I have, I have So that's what that says. Motherfucker, I like you. I like you even more now because that's like one of my all-time favorite books. Also, uh, when I read it as a kid, uh, I think that book is one of the coolest. Not only stories, but she like in like an American story. It's very you know Americana, but also like the the author. She was in high school when she wrote that. Yeah, like she was like fourteen. Yeah, fifteen. She was like she was she was like she was a a sophomore in high school. Like, I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater, and 
on the Dreamcast. Like, I wasn't writing an American, like, like literary classic. Um, and, you know, yeah, she was a genius. And then, actually, I also really like Rumblefish, which is, like, the, like, kind of sequel yeah. to, if, if you've never read it, I highly suggest reading it. It's very short. Um, but it's also equally a, a good book. And, obviously, Outsiders has that initial magic. But Rumblefish is... I, I think also a classic if you haven't read it. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. The next one is oh, you kind of you kind of had already said the question was what got you into powerlifting specifically and how long have you been competing? You you did answer that, so uh, kind of already, which is cool. But the the same person said uh, thanks for being a mental health advocate and any tips for first meet anxiety. So, I mean, going into your first meet, it's just, my, I think my biggest piece of advice would be to drop your expectations. Um, and, and, and that's very difficult, obviously, to do. Um, we're competitors, so we want to do really well. But go in with the attitude, like, go in being a sponge. Just take in everything around you. Watch everything that's happening. Learn. Talk to people. Um because everybody around you is going to be more experienced than you if you're a first time like competitor. So you and you have something. There's something you can learn from a person there. That's something. I mean, whether you're learning the right or wrong way to do something, you know, you can still learn from every person out there. Um, um, so yeah, just enjoy the experience as a, a, like when you're first time. Like that's that's all. It's like you're going to remember that meet. I remember my first meet better than I remember most of my meets. I actually went eight for nine my first meet, which I think is like the most successful day I've had on a platform. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and a part of the, a part of that too is though that I didn't have you know I didn't have expectations. I I wasn't you know I was I was a nobody, and I was just out there lifting weights, and I didn't put pressure on myself, and I wasn't sitting here with like these crazy goals in mind. So I was just out there enjoying myself lifting. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I, I had a grip and rip deadlift. I, I just, every, a lot of my stuff was pretty ugly, but you know, I was out there having fun and I learned a ton. And my first meet is actually, um, that was the first time that I saw Trevor compete. He was in the same competition. Um, and then seven months later, or so or six months later, we competed together again, and then he ended up becoming my coach after that. So, I mean, you never know, you know, who you're going to run into. You never know who you're going to meet. I, I met a lot of people at that first competition that are still good friends of mine today, and especially in this community because we're so like close knit. But um, just go in and just have fun. Drop your expectations. Do not worry about goals. Do not do not cut weight. For your first meet ever. Well, do let's say that again. Do not cut weight for your first meet, please. Like, I, I don't care if you weigh 183 pounds. Just walk in at 183. You don't need to cut down to 181. Just you know, just go out there and have fun um, and just enjoy it. And just you know, it, it's going to be a, a good experience for you, regardless of what you do on the platform, just because of how much you're going to learn. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it reminds me, I heard a story from a, a more, an older lifter before. He had told me that he had bombed out on squats for like four meets in a row. Yeah. And then 
he decided on one one like one during training for whatever reason you know he there was a meet coming up it was like two weeks away he re- he was going to do another meet a few months out but there's one two weeks away that he really wanted to do for some whatever reason that it was at the time and he was like all right you know what fuck it i've been bombing like he, he just didn't give a shit essentially he's just like yeah i'll do that one for these reasons and then he ended up having like the one of the best meets of his career and not bombing out after bombing out for four meets in a row um and so, and I, you know, I think in the point that he made was kind of like what we said earlier about taking certain pressures off of yourself, getting out of your head so you can kind of feel more. You can, A, have fun more, but also I think that also leaves more space for you to actually kind of feel how things are actually going and not have the preconceived uh, notion of your, uh, of your, you know, of your expectations yeah yeah i mean like just drop your expectations and just enjoy it um that's why i think i I have a really good feeling about my next meet coming up because it wasn't what i originally planned to do um but i kind of needed like a little bit of a life distraction and stuff and something to focus on to keep me you know going because of some stuff i was dealing with and you know so i'm like okay well i'm gonna do this meet in sleeves um i'm not gonna cut at all and because I'm going to meet shortly after that, like my quote unquote supplement intake is going to be far less than what I'm used to doing. And it's just, I don't know, it's a, it's a relieving feeling just being able to like, you know, not have crazy expectations going into a competition. Yeah. And is that, what, is that so that was that for Rockwell or is that for one coming up that you will be doing? That's for, that's for uh, the American Marble Club coming up in November. Okay, the one that's in uh, down that's in Florida, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's in Gainesville. Nice. And do you do you think you'll probably feel better, probably you know, like you said, quote unquote, supplementing less, probably having stress off of your body? Yeah, I mean, so that's another thing that I've been like very open with on Instagram. Um, I, I believe in transparency, and I don't, you know. Like, I'm definitely not perfect. I mess up a lot. Um, but but I'm open about that stuff, and I'll take accountability for it. But at least, you know, like, I'm myself, and that's never going to change. I'm always just going to be me. So, you know, I share a lot of that stuff online. And going into the Rockwell meet, I actually took a similar stance. Um, I used a lot less of the performance enhancers than I have in the past. Uh, I got carried away with them for a couple of my meets like two and three meets ago and it had some negative and a little bit of like negative health effects on me um a little bit of personality change and stuff and then i got to the point where i was like okay like i had enough people talk to me and be like hey like why don't you try coming back off of this a little bit um so going into the rockwell meet i used less than half of the things that i had previously used and i still made outstanding progress so it was, that was like the light bulb moment for me. It was like, okay, less is more. Like you yeah. don't, you don't need to, you know, pump yourself full of all this crazy amount of stuff to perform at this level. Cause honestly it was like with how high my blood pressure and everything was, I was probably hindering my performance at that point more than I was helping it. Yeah. And that's always what I've been told by anyone who's done 
you know, gear for a long time, it's, they always say, you know, you're looking for the most minimum dose for the most maximum results. Yes, get the most out of the least. Get the most out of the least because more doesn't mean better. Um, Absolutely. And I think, I mean, we all know, like, at a certain point, if you want to go at a high level, like, gear is going to be part of it. It, it, it is, like, it does, it does help. Like, gear gear works and it helps. But I don't, not to the extent that people always think. Um, and that's, you know, and that's strictly from what I've, you know, been, you know, learned from all my friends who obviously tell me who, uh, for, for the years. Like, uh, I just didn't my first cycle i'm off right now i did my first six week cycle seven sorry seven week cycle really really minimal and went really well like again it was minimal but it it helped and now i'm off which also kind of sucks i don't like (laughs) like oh (laughs) bummer but uh but it was just that like okay like i don't need I, I really wanted I, – when I decided to do it and I came to that conclusion, my stipulation for myself was was just that. I want to do the most minimal thing I can and get the most out of it. And if I still can't get competitive or get to where I want to go with doing the most minimal, then I probably won't – I won't do more. Because if I can't get a certain amount from doing, you know, from doing that, it, doing more probably won't help me. And that's just probably where my genetics are going to be. Um, so that was like my stipulation with it when I decided. I mean, I, I morally, it's like, I had friends that started them in high school, uh, like had a real competitive, like football wrestling in high school. Um, so we had kids that were doing them back then. And so I've been around it and then military, we have to do this to be the biggest person in the globo gym. Like, unless I'm like actually competing for something, I'm not going to. So then when I found powerlifting, I was like, okay, like I finally convinced myself that I was like going to be okay with it. I still morally kind of wrestled with it. Um, and then now, it, I mean, now it's just part of like daily life. I have been like off of everything since the Rockwell meet. Uh, so like going on like four weeks that I've had nothing in me for the time in like two years because I usually like cruise and blast. Yeah. Uh, so I've had nothing in me for like four weeks. I'm experiencing what it's like to be sore again, and that sucks. Dude, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and like, and like, I actually, like, that's something I also feel like, obviously, guys don't talk about it that much, but it's um, post-cycle blues. Uh, yeah. Like, 
I, and again, I, I only was only did my first. And so I definitely don't have the same amount of experience, but even then it was, it's kind of like, I've been bummed a little bit because I felt when you're on and you're, and you're kind of enrolling and things are going well, you feel like you're like a bright neon sign. You just got, I got energy. I can go all day. And then now I'm off. I'm just kind of like Charlie Brown. Womp womp. Like my biggest thing for like when people come off or just in general, like I tell people like more food, less drugs, like, and especially when you come off, just start eating more. And you're, you're like, you're not going to see like a huge drop off in performance. If you up your calories properly, you know, if you, like you said, they don't give you as much as people think they do. Uh, they really don't. And if you were as focused on getting a good night of sleep every night and properly eating and fueling your body, you wouldn't have the same reliance and you would realize that like you could get away with doing a lot less if you were doing everything else right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's what it comes like. And again, just my theory is that the gear only helps you as much as you take care of yourself. Um, like it's, it's not a magic thing where you take it and all of a sudden you're strong. Obviously you still train, your nutrition still has to be on point, your sleep has to be on point. All it does is highlight the work you do, which is why more isn't always better because you can over flood. Um, and then also it's not, it's not going to save you from, you know, not training as hard or eating like shit or sleeping like shit, you know, or just banging your body down. Like it, it only works when you, you know, are, you know, do it, like you said, doing everything right. And then you just happen to also have that. Yeah. I mean, too many, too many people use it as like a bandaid. Yeah. To like cover up, to cover up their problems when realistically, it's like the sprinkles on top of your ice cream. Like it, it's supposed to be that little extra bit that puts you over the top, not your main reliance on everything. Yeah. I think that's actually, I think that's a good visual analogy is that it should be the sprinkles on top. Not, not the, not the ice cream itself. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, so I think that's, I hope, I hope that analogy breaks the internet. Cause that's, uh, <laughs> I just want to see a meme where it's just like an ice cream sundae and then in the scoops it's just Charlie Binkley's head and then and then whipped cream and then the sprinkles are just like little like test bottles like that'd be that'd be uh, yeah right like oh that's now now I want ice cream um, all right uh, so moving on because we do have a few more questions oh favorite sports teams uh, Cubs Cubs Bears. Um, Blackhawks and Notre Dame have always been the teams that I've rooted for my whole life. So awesome! The I'm, I'm a big hockey fan, so I appreciate the Blackhawks. They're a good. They're a good hockey team. They are. They're actually a very good hockey team. Um, they, I mean, they had, they, had their, uh, they had a little stretch of their dynasty going for a while. I was stationed out in California, so. They, I would go watch them when they came to play, like, the Kings and stuff like that. Yeah, I do. I'm a Kings fan, so I go watch them. I will say I I did not have very pleasant experiences with Kings fans while wearing a Blackhawk jersey. (laughs) Really? I mean... I mean, we're not the most welcoming. Not the most welcoming crowd. I mean, we had a rivalry going for a little while. 
Yeah, that, that's true. Probably back then, because I feel like it's not as much anymore. Like when I, like, at least when I go, I mean, I am a Kings fan, but like, you know, you like the section I sit in is always. I, I always have the other team on there. Like you shit talk a little bit, but yeah. I don't know we're pretty good. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. Yeah. The yeah, tensions tensions definitely were a little bit higher. Um. Yeah. So all right. Typical Chicago. Um, I, I interviewed uh, Angelo from Two White Lights. I don't know if you ever, yeah. And yeah, that's right. You have. I have. I have listened to that one. Um, and I just think he's such a huge, you know, Chicago fan. It's 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 fun. Um, yeah, that's that's one thing I respect about the Midwest and the East Coast. Uh, West Coast, we don't really have that, like, because we have so many teams uh, that it's different. Like, obviously, there are diehards, but it's not like a cultural thing, and it sucks. Um, I lived in Seattle for a year, and they are like that. Seattle is diehard about their sports. They love the Seahawks. They love the Mariners. They love um, the uh, their soccer team. Uh, the Sounders, and they are, and that was the first time living somewhere where like the they're like they're culturally diehards, the whole city, and it's really cool. With you being in California, me being in Florida, like a large population of the people here are not from here, so you know. Yeah, it's true. These are these are where places these are places where people come to move because like the weather is beautiful and it's just like awesome to live here. But, you know, Florida, if you go to a sports bar, you're going to see jerseys from, like, 20 different teams because nobody's actually from here. Yeah. You know, that's, that's why the local teams don't have as much support. I'm assuming California has probably got a lot of the same. So. Oh, it's very much. But then also it's like, I mean, even hockey. It's like we have uh, we have the Bay Area. You have your uh, San Jose Sharks. You have the Kings. And then you have fucking Anaheim. Like, the fuck? Who the fuck put Anaheim there? It's like it's like there's already it's like we already have two we already have like a north team and a south team but let's put another south team. You and you know what and that's what and that's what fucks me up because I love those movies but like I hate that team and like I'm like but why like my like what I want to see happen is I want to see that I want to see Anaheim dissolve from Anaheim and then they move to Seattle because I feel like Seattle deserves a hockey team. Like if they were the Seattle Ducks, I'd totally be for it. I'd be like all about it, all about it. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. Like then, then you have my support. But just like it's such a because it's such a weird fucking bureaucratic move. That's why I hate it. But also, I do want Seattle to have a hockey team, because just, like, to nerd out, Seattle was the first city to get the Stanley Cup, the Seattle Totems, and the re- why they don't have one is beyond me. Anyway. I hope so. I really hope so. And I hope it's Anaheim. <laughs> like, just do do what Oakland did to Vegas, and just, like, move Anaheim to Seattle. Yeah, I, I think so. I feel like I should get a check from them also for the for the idea. So, <laughs> uh, because, like, they have good players. Like, their coach is good. 
Um, it's just the fact that they're like an hour, like two teams an hour away. I'm like, who the fuck decided that? Uh, anyway, moving on from my hockeyness. Um, your current favorite lifter to watch, and then maybe current up and coming lifter to be watched. Um, favorite lifter to watch. And I look. And I, and I literally mean that, like, to watch. Like, whoever, like, doesn't, I mean, whatever their ranking is. Like, just whoever you think just, yeah. just is pretty. Um, well, one of my favorites, like, two of my favorites to watch have always been uh, Jed Rothseeder and Stacey Burt. Um, yeah. Just, just because of the level of emotion. And, I mean, they, they just wear that shit on their sleeve. They're, you know... They're just they're they're all out. They they leave everything on the platform, and it's just like you can't watch that and like not be inspired to like want to improve. Um, oh yeah, both of them are so just electric and energetic. Ugh. Yeah, and then um, obviously this one's a little biased, but like I love watching Alexis lift because she'll hit like a tough lift. And she'll get this like smirk on her face. It's hilarious because like you can see exactly what's going on in her head, and uh, it, it's just fun. And like we started powerlifting together, so like I remember where she came from, and to see the things she's doing now, it's just like it, it's been really fun to watch. Yeah. That is really cool, by the way. Like that is cool. You guys got to kind of start that, and then you're both. Just kind of rising up through the ranks, yeah, and improving every year. And um, you know, you both are have such a a very bright voice in the sport because you're both very good people, um, very smart. And cause she's a nurse, also, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like she's a nurse, like like she has a medical like that's a like that's a very hard job, and you still power lift and compete. Like yeah. that's impressive as fuck. Yeah, so, yeah, when you hear people make the excuses, like, I don't have time or stuff, like, she works 12-hour shifts, 12-and-a-half-hour shifts, you know, and she still finds time. She has a full career. She's yeah. got hobbies and responsibilities outside of powerlifting, still finds time. So, you know, like, especially someone for me, like myself, like, my job is on the computer. Like, I have zero, and she would put me on blast if I was ever, like, trying to make an excuse, like, oh, I don't have time or something like that. She'd be like... Really? I'd be like, all right, never mind. Like, <laughs> retract that statement, you know? Yeah, seriously. She's like, do you have any idea how many people I injected today? <laughs> yeah. She's like, I literally keep people alive at work. And I'm like, you're right. I'm going to shut up. You're right. I'll, I'll go bench now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, That's that's true. Yeah, that's true. I can't you know, yeah. um, I, I, up and coming lifter, I think like the, just the coolest thing for me to see as like a spectator of the sport is um, all like the females that are getting involved. Because even when I mean, like I said, I haven't been doing this for more than a couple of years, 
but like I've noticed a dramatic increase in the like the amount of females doing it. And now you have like hundred, hundred thirty pound girls. Um, one of my friends up in Chicago, uh, Janelle. I think she competes at 132, and she just pulled over 400. And, you know, she's just like, you know, <laughs> this is just becoming a normal thing. Yeah, isn't that, uh, didn't she she pull at Rockwell? She's like a little Asian girl? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I watched. I follow both of them. I watched. I, I watched like everybody competing that day. I especially spent that day like watching you, watching Alexis, watching those two. Uh, pretty much everybody who competed at Rockwell, I was just like, I'm just like I'm stalking and just like watching the tens. <laughs> store or something like that, you wouldn't be like, oh yeah, she could pick up 400 pounds with these. Like, it's just, it's, it's cool to see the level of strength that is coming out of people these days. Oh, 100%. And I think, and I've said it before, that it all comes down, there's a mindset thing. You know, and again, I've I've used the same example like a hundred times, but I'll, I'll still use it. It's like the four minute mile. Everyone thought it was impossible, like humanly impossible. And then some, some guy finally broke it. And then after that, the floodgates open. So I think the more that we see uh, the sport grows and the level of talent grows and the different types of people that get involved and do different things, um, that just expands our tangibility of reality of what is possible. And then when, once people have that and they're able to see it, that in the, and again, they have that tangible proof, that just opens their mind to what is possible. And then, you know, then that's a whole different intention. Like we said, it's like when you know you can be 130 pounds and pull over 400, when you walk into the gym and you're serious and you walk up to that bar, that's a whole different intention than, than thinking like, well, I probably will never get over 225. Like, nope, nope, I can, de- I can definitely get to, you know, 405, 410, 450, you know. Like you have to be a little bit crazy to believe in and stuff like that. And if someone's like, "Oh, well, nobody's ever done that," it's like, "Well, someone has to be the first. Yeah, someone hasn't done it yet. But it's like, at what point historically, when you see how many people have been in that position, had crazy dreams, been told that it's dumb or ha- no one, no one's done it, and then they do it. So it's like, you know what? Maybe, maybe you're not so crazy. And if it really can't be done, then how about you let time decide that? Yeah. Like, don't let someone else decide that. And, and if people, like, want to call them crazy or call Paolo crazy, it's like, no, we're not, like, okay, well, yeah, maybe we are. But, yeah, a little loose in the head, bro. A little loose in yeah, the head. We are, we are a little crazy, but, like, you're just not understanding our passion. And, you know, like, everybody has their hobbies. I'm not going to judge anybody else for theirs. You know, if I wanted, if this is what I want to do to my body and these are the things I want to pursue, like, walking out with... 705 pounds on my back like I failed that squat but it's just like I didn't see that for myself a couple of years ago and now it's just like okay I know that next time I have that on my back I'm going to smoke it Yeah, and it's just like it's cool it's, it's cool to find out what your body can do and then to like you put a number in your head that at first seems a little bit crazy and then all of a sudden it's there and you're just like oh wow like I, I did this yeah and you know what and uh, it's like if you grew up with like, you know, maybe, I mean, I know you grew up with it, but maybe it didn't affect you the same, 
But like, I grew up, I, I love X-Men, I, I, you know, and it's like, we all wanted to be like mutants a little bit. And if you're uh, a guy or you know, girl holding, you know, 700 pounds is almost a ton. Like that's like, that's literally almost a met, like, almost a ton, 1000 pounds being a ton, you're only 300 pounds away and you're squatting with almost a ton. Like that's insane. Like, that's so cool. How can you not think that's cool? I don't understand people. Yeah, no, it's just, it's cool to watch, it's cool to be a part of, it's just, you know, and we do it, and then we set a new goal, and then we, you know, we aim for that. You know, as soon as I hit 7, you know, like, realistically, it should be like, okay, when's 7.30, 7.40 going to be there? But as soon as I hit 7, you know, like, 800 is going to be in the back of my head. Yeah. And yeah. It's just the way it works. Yeah. Yeah, it's... You know, but it's like if you're not setting goals, if you're not learning, if you're not improving, then you're dying. Like, yeah. if you're not trying to evolve, like what happens to something when it doesn't evolve? It goes extinct. Like that's a, that's that's a, so. You know, it's good to set crazy goals because then even if you don't hit them, but you try, the evolution and the self enrichment and betterment that comes from that is gigantic, and you will have evolved regardless. So, I mean, if I aim for eight and I end up hitting 760, it's still a huge PR. Like, yep. I'm still making improvement. I'm still growing. Yep. Then there's also there's also the very similar saying that aim small, miss small. Uh, you know, where you, you know, you aim, you know, uh, you aim so, like, specifically that if you miss it, you're not going to miss it by much. You know, yeah. it's so, you know, it's so close. Um, yeah. Yeah. Trevor is a wise guy. He's a, he's... I think he, he's shown that time and time again, and he his passion for the sport really comes through. So he is, and I, I started working with Trevor in like August of 2017, um, and he was very well known in Florida at the time. But like he wasn't as I don't think he was nationally. He definitely wasn't nationally as well known as he is now. Um, so it's been it's been really cool to like see him, you know, kind of blow up as a coach and everything like that. And it's funny because like. When I decided to start working with Trevor, and I've told him this, um, like Alexis and I were down here in Florida, kind of had like a group of powerlifting friends and stuff, but we were still kind of isolated, and the area we lived in didn't really have like a powerlifting-specific gym or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, I saw Trevor, like, first of all, I saw how his team interacted with people, um, and they were all very positive. They were helping people, and they seemed like they had a really good dynamic. Um that was basically like the biggest thing that like drew me in. I was like, you know, as soon as I hired Trevor as a coach, all of a sudden, like my family grew by like 60 people. And it was like, Oh, now we're doing team training things and stuff like that. And all this, you just, you have all these new friends and everything. And that was honestly one of the biggest things that went into, I was like, okay, I know he's strong. I know he's successful with his athletes, but also like look at the group that I will inherit now. Um, just by becoming a part of this team. And I think that's like one of those things where like the powerlifting community stands out. Um, just like what we can offer people and like our sense of unity. And there's, you know, there's little schisms and stuff, but for the most part, we're, you know, we're pretty well put together. So, Oh, I a hundred percent. I mean, look at, I mean, I, I, I'm, I wouldn't have had a show if not for powerlifting. Like, that's how that I came about, you know. Um, I wouldn't have anyone to talk to if I didn't start, you know, lifting and, like, connecting with those people. Um, yeah, I, 
if I didn't, if I hadn't found this sport and like, it, it's opened so many doors for me, like outside of that, um, and just like meeting the cool, coolest people, regardless if they, you know, if they happen to also lift or not. So, um, you know, and it's like, you have, you know, like, uh, Jaffe's team, um, you know, uh, the ritual, all the ritual guys have done a really good job making, you know, um, a great group of people, um, uh, my, my coach Scott over at Strong House, like all those guys also do a really good job. This guy's a really, he's a really good guy. He's, he's done me really well and he's treated me really well. Um, you know, like that, that's been one thing that I, I, I found, like I, like for myself, like I, uh, you know, I only started seriously powerlifting a little over a year ago and, uh, I'm not naturally strong and Scott, I think it's harder in, for a guy sometimes if you're not naturally bigger or stronger to get help or have people believe in you. Like with girls, everyone loves seeing girls become strong and you know they'll get strong. And I think people kind of almost like, yeah, I'll work with you because I know you'll get strong. And I think for guys sometimes it actually can be a little bit like harder where some people don't want to work with you if you're not already mostly strong. Um, you know, or they don't take you as seriously. And I had to deal with that a lot, um, where I kind of was like, I need some help. And they're just like, yeah, sure. You know, whenever I would ask for somebody, but Scott actually treats me, uh, you know, like seriously. And yeah. I, I, I personally, as a coach, I love working with new athletes. Um, because you're, I mean, you're helping them build that foundation. Like they might not stick with you. They might not work with you for forever, but the things that they accomplish, you know, 10 years down the line, they're still going to be rooted in the things that you instilled in them from day one. So I, I love working with newer athletes and stuff like that, and especially because a lot of my coaching, um, and it's not like this with all of my athletes, not all of my athletes are um, as big on like interaction and communication. That, that's fine. You know, some of them are just there for the programming and that's what I give them. Um, but a lot of them, you know, I've, I've become good friends with, and uh, I know probably as much about their personal lives as I know about their gym life at this point. And, you know, you, you help them because, and they're going to share this stuff with you because if it's like a mental thing they're dealing with that is affecting their lifting, they're going to share it with you. And, and, you know, I'm not the type of person that someone could share their life issues with me and I'm like, all right, well, hope you hope you figure that out. Like, no, yeah. like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dive in and I'm going to try and, you know, give you the best advice I can and I'm going to offer myself to be there for you. Um, and that's like the mental health advocate part. You know, I only, I only like am able to help and able to assist people the way I am because I've gone through it. Like, I'm diagnosed with PTSD from the military and some of the stuff I experienced overseas. Um, you know, I've, I've been in and out of therapy. I've had more rock bottoms than I care to count. You know, I've been through this stuff before and I'm continuing to go through it. It's not like, it's not a process that I'm, it's, it's ongoing and it's going to continue to keep going probably for the rest of my life. But I've experienced a lot of this stuff, so it's put me in a position where I'm able to offer help to other people. Yeah, and that's what's valuable, man. And like you said earlier, no one remember, no one will remember all your numbers, but they're gonna remember, you know, how big of a heart that you had, your transparency, um, how you impacted them, 
you know, how their life got better from the things they learned from you and just, you know, both directly and indirectly from your, you know, from your example. And, you know, I, it's like Eddie, I think Eddie Cohn is the best example. Cause not only obviously was he like the greatest to actually lift, but I think, and he's still a part of the sport and he's still like the nicest guy. And he's still like, he's like, everyone loves him. Like everyone loves him, the both the lifter that he was and all the things he did for the sport, but then still now and the things he's still doing for the sport, like like that that guy's amazing. And like what other sport like Stacey Bird, best in the world, but I've seen her in the warm up room loading plates for first time competitors on their squat bars and stuff like that. I've seen her volunteering to wrap people's knees that she didn't know. Like I've seen her back there putting the work in and this is after she had already been like the best in the world this is after she's already accomplished all this stuff it's like what other sport do you see that happening in where these people are still so interactive and helping and that's going to make a much bigger difference than like oh i saw stacy's world record squat cool oh the best in the world in this sport just pulled me aside and gave me some advice like that is going to leave a much bigger impact on the lifter than anything a huge impact and i think so far, I mean, I don't, I've never been to a, like a weightlifting competition and I've only seen some strongman competitions. So I haven't been like in the warm up rooms of those, of those competitions. I don't know the ins and outs, but so far with powerlifting is the only sport that I've seen where the higher up, like the higher up the athletes are, the more they're accomplished and the longer they are in the sport, the more excited those those same people get like you said when they see a first-time competitor um like my own first meet for example the the strongest guy at my first meet he was like in his like mid to late 30s he had been lifting for over 10 years he was like literally the strongest guy there and he was going for a big lifetime pr for himself that day he was going for like 660 something 60 like something for himself um and he found out it was my first meet and he was like he's a very like very focused very intense guy of course he was polite but you know he was doing his own thing um but he found out it was my first meet somehow and then for the rest of the day he kept you know like he would load he would load my plates uh it was after squat he would he you know he was helping me warm up for my bench um, he kept at, he like, you know, are you good? You know where you are in your flight. He would offer me like food when he would see me, he like would walk by after his attempts. And like, I remember his second attempt, he got, he got red lighted for something, whatever. He was really pissed off. Like he was mad and he comes over, he sees me when he looks mad and he breaks his like anger and goes, you know, and he, and he goes, hey, are you ready for your third? Are you, you know, you're ready. Do you need anything? Do you want like a salt tab? Like, com- like completely went out of his way and singled me out and was really concerned with me having a good first meet. And he didn't know me. He didn't have to do any of those things. Um, and I think that's very indicative of the sport. Yeah. I mean, that's why, like, my, my team's name is Iron Unity, which I'll give Alexis credit. She's actually the one that came up with that name. Um, nice. Iron, Iron Unity is the name of my team, and our main saying um, from day one has been stronger together. You know, it's just, it's not, it, it, it's transcendent outside the sport too, but powerlifting, life, whatever, like you don't have to go through this alone. 
like this is not an individual thing like people will help you allow them to help you and you're going to be better off like because of it it's also very marine of you sir it's very yes marine. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know i I, I owe my life to other people watching my back, so it, it's it's something that kind of sticks with you. So it, it does, and I think that that's something that you know um, more people can learn from. I, you know, I think all my friends who've been in the military and who get out, um, I think majority of them, of course, I feel like that's a trait that they take into the rest of their life, and I always really appreciate and try to learn from. Um, and uh they like it's like once you're friends they always have your back you know and they they really understand that value um and it's something i always appreciate you know so yeah i mean i i can i can have friends that i'm extremely upset with or friends that i haven't talked to in a year or something like that but like they know like my real friends they know like if they call me i'm gonna be by their side as quickly as i can and just you know, it's the, that type of thing that you can offer people that will leave a bigger impact and will let them know, like, what your character truly is, I think. Exactly. And that was something that I, um, impact is like a word that kept getting used and brought up when I talked with Melissa was that's what you, you know, what's what you wanted to do with your life. What we all want to do. We want to make an impact and we want to impact for ourselves and we want to impact others. And that's. Cause that's what makes it worth living. You know, that's what, that's, that's a life well lived is the people, how many people and how deeply you impact them. Yeah. You know, uh, one, I think one thing that really like struck deep with me was, uh, Joe Sullivan talked about, and I'm not sure if he came up with this or if he was quoting someone, but he talked about having two deaths. Um, the, your first death is when you actually die. And your second death is the last time that someone speaks your name. Yeah. He talked about, he talked about wanting that, wanting to have that second death be as long as possible after that first one, um, and you know you only accomplish that by you know impacting others and leaving a legacy behind that's going to last a lot longer than you will. Yeah, a hundred percent. I believe that is a quote from somewhere, and I can't recall where. Um, but I believe he added that last part. He added about having having that second death be as long after your death as possible. And God damn it, Joe is awesome. I love Joe. Uh, <laughs> I, I I asked him to be on the show too, and he said he would after Boss of Bosses. So I'm really hoping I can make that happen. Truly believes in that, and you can tell by the way he acts. And he's one of those ones where um, I, I try to keep what I, I'm very transparent online, but I also try to keep what I post in check because I know that a lot of people view it, and I, I see people sharing my stuff and stuff like that. So it's like people notice the things you put online. So there's been things I've put in my story before where Joe will DM me, and he's like, why acknowledge this or why put your energy into this? Um, so, and like, it's just one of those things where it helps having another voice like that, like come out and be like, Hey, like you're, you're above this. Don't, don't go down this road. And then it's like, okay, you know, delete post real quick. But yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And you know, and he is a great example of, he has a quality that, 
Stacy has, that Trevor has, um, that all the main people have who make an impact, like, you know, Eddie Cohn has, is that they fucking care in the best way. You know, they, they, they true, they true, they truly just like care. And then it's like exposed. Like that's just like, it's like this, like a, like a, it's like a big, it's like branded, you know, like on them, you know, and you just, you can't help but see that. And that's, uh, yeah. Can't help but appreciate they, they, they care. They care for the right reasons. Cause yeah. not, they, they will do things without any goal of like reciprocation or without any, like they don't want the acknowledgement from it. Like they just want to help people. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they just, they, they like, just like what you said earlier for you about how much joy you get from seeing other lifters, you know, just, you know, or just people just do something great with themselves or, uh, you know, exceed beyond their limitations and how exciting that is. They really, that's, that's what they like. They want to see that and they don't, yeah, they don't care. Otherwise it's really cool. Uh, and I think that our sport as it grows, of course, there's always the odd people out, but I think the majority of our sport is those, are those kind of people. And I, yeah. and I do think in all of that, those are the people who last in the sport anyway. So yeah. I saw it on like uh, Lotus Calisham's uh, story the other day. Someone asked, why does powerlifting suck? And his response was, it doesn't. You're just focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. And it, it's just social media, powerlifting in general. Like, if you don't like what you're seeing, it's because you're putting the focus. Like, you have control over what you see on social media. Like, yep. if you don't like if you don't like something, unfollow. You know, you, yep. that page should be what you want in your life and be a positive addition to you. Powerlifting should be the same way. If you don't like something about it, don't give it any energy. Like, ignore it. Yeah, hundred percent. Or uh, you know, another you know, to the same vein, but a different. Because I um, I talked to Sean Noriega, and we were kind of getting in a very similar um, you know similar. Uh, kind of topic and i brought up the you know i really like taoism taoism is one of my favorite like things to nerd out about um and what in a taoist principle at least it was my interpretation of this principle was that because things always need to be in balance like there never will be an extinguishing of a negative but the the negative and the positive need each other to thrive so instead of trying to lessen the effect of one you try to greaten the other so instead of trying to lessen the effects or the negative in your life, try to just be more positive. Exactly. You try to it's, it's, it should be an escalating scale because if you try to, to like oh I want to lessen my stress, I want to lessen the negative. Um, that's it's very it's very counter evolutionary. You want to become greater. Whatever the negative is, have that may become you become even brighter than the dark. Um, and. Of course, that means that in reciprocation, the dark will also evolve and will get darker. But then that's just another point for you to evolve and get brighter. And that is the sick. That is the nature. Like that's the the wheel. That little yin and yang wheel. Like that's that it's it is cyclical. But you will always be evolving. And again, if you're not evolving, you're dying. You're stagnant. So it's like it's like if you want change or you don't want yeah you don't follow those things or just be more positive, be brighter than all that negative shit. Like exactly, and I think I think Stacy is the greatest example because she's so energetic and she's so just like like she doesn't try to diminish bad things. She just is 
more. She is she is greater than the bad things, and she just puts a, a larger energy into good things. You know, and it's like if she sees something negative, she's just like, nope, higher, you know. And uh, I think something that's all we can take from because so many times people want to, I think, lessen, you know, and like, oh, let's let's you know, lessen, let's take it away, um, you know, let's make it below our current level as opposed to you leveling up. Yeah, and I think Stacy's been another one who uh, her and I text, and I'm, I'm lucky to call her a friend, and. She's been another one who keeps me on the right track and keeps me focused on the positives of stuff and not feeding into the bad. Um, and it's just, you know, when you're around, if you surround yourself with people like that, it's contagious. It really is. And she really walks that walk. And, and honestly, I like because of who she is, like sometimes I will, I've, I've done this a few times. Um, every now and then I'll be having a bad day and I'll go into my text messages and I realized that I have like a tech, like a you know a text thread with 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 Stacy, and I'm like, oh yeah, I have the best, I have the best in the world's like number on my phone, and we like do text, have text. Okay, I feel a little better. Like it's like a little thing, but it legitimately will help me through a bad day. A hundred percent. And I think that we know like you, the paraphrasing quote that you said from Joe, uh, I think that's kind of like the good motif of our talk today is that, you know, the, the, the two deaths you die and then the death after people was when people forget you and that you want to make an impact and let that second death be as prolonged as humanly possible because that's what matters. And your numbers won't last that long, but who you are and the people you impact will. You know, so uh, I I think that's uh, it's uh, you know it's an hour it's been almost an hour and forty minutes. I think that's a really that's a good that's a good you know period on it. And um, I actually have to get ready for work. <laughs> so, yeah, that was just Tim. That was just Tim being like his fucking neck. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, uh, I mean, hey, I, as for somebody who has the, a neck that looks like one of Garrett Fear's legs, I, I think your neck is fine. <laughs> like, like I have a fucking giraffe neck. I hate it. Like, I, I do deadlifts, and if I, like, start to look up at all, I'm like, oh, yeah. I need more traps. I'm just gonna just do shrugs till I die. <laughs> pretty much but um but dude i really appreciate you coming on it's been great to talk to you um you're an awesome person and i i enjoy you know everything that you put out uh, not just you as a lifter but you as a, you know uh as the guy that you are and i appreciate all of that and uh, you taking the time appreciate you having me on man um at any time my show is your show you ever want to come on again you you say the word and uh, if you're, whenever you guys come back out to Cali, please let me know. Yeah. So, and of course, I when I come to Florida, I will, I'll be knocking on your door. So I do. I honestly like it's become more of a thing because like there's so many people in Florida now. There's so many good like powerlifting gyms. I'm like, well, go to Florida. <laughs> yeah. It is. I mean, I like Florida, other than it being really like humid. Like I've been there twice, and it was fun. So. Something like January, February, it's a lot better. 
See, uh, my birthday's in January, so that's a great excuse. That's a great excuse. All right, man. Um, is there any anything you want to say or shout out before you uh, before you sign off? Please do so. Ritual. I love Tim and Riley and the whole team. They are good people. I good people. Uh, awesome man. Again, thank you. I can't wait to see the new stuff you have coming up, and I can't wait to have you on again. And then we can, you know, see uh, how what how things have changed from now and until that point. Absolutely. Oh yeah. All right, man. You have a great day, and I'll be seeing you soon. Okay. All right, man. Bye bye. All right, sports fans, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Charlie Binkley. Uh, what a great talk. And I really love, you know, the motif that's really been for this season two, which has been impact. The, you know, how you treat people and the legacy you live is going to be from the impact you give people. So whatever you do, it doesn't mean you don't go for your dreams. Set those crazy dreams, and those crazy goals. It doesn't mean you don't try to go for those. But what it means is that how you do it matters. You step up everybody to get to your goals and you get it. It'll be a very lonely celebration and everyone will forget because you are such an asshole. So don't be an asshole. How matters. How you do things matters. So whatever your dreams are, go for them. But go for them as the best person possible because then it'll, that's what makes it worth living. So, pretty heavy, but it's a good takeaway. Hope you all learned something from Mr. Charlie. Again, reach out to him if you want coaching. Reach out to him if you just want to talk. He's a really good guy. He will talk to you, as most of the people that we have on the show. So, shout out to Ritual. Shout out to Mr. Trevor Jaffe for, you know, well, just having great people on your team as I slowly work through it. And, you know, not again, not on purpose, but it just happens to be you pick really good people or or good people are attracted to your team. It is what it is. Uh, Viking Performance Chalk, thank you guys for sponsoring the Viking Performance Grip and Rip It Inquisition round. All those questions that we gathered for Charlie that I believe he answered very, very well, very articulately. So I hope you took away from that. Thank you guys. Uh, don't forget to check out all their stuff. Thank you, everybody, just for listening to the show. Really means a lot to me. Um, and I have so much fun doing this. I wake up at four in the morning so I can eat breakfast and caffeinate so I can do interviews before I go to work and it's worth it though. So, um, you know, it's all about that. How I gave as much of myself into it and hopefully you guys benefit from it. Cause I know I do talking to all these people. So hope we share that anyways, until next time. Thank you guys for tuning in to the nerds who live podcast. <laughs>